0: Good morning, Camp Cece! We are so glad to have you here this morning, ready to worship our God this morning. Would you stand up and get ready to jump around, maybe clap your hands a little bit, we're going to have some fun worshiping this morning. Come
1: on! I believe there's one salvation Believe in
2: Very special one. I'm going to bring you guys out to center. I want to ask all elders and wives, if you'll come on the stage, if you're a pastor, pastor, wife, come on the stage with me right now. As I talk, you guys can come up here. Uh, We've been celebrating Jim Moyer this weekend. I know a lot of you were here last night. Uh, We had over 190 people RSVP, and uh, we had a wonderful celebratory dinner. And at the same time, getting to hear what's going on in Jim's life and Gail and moving forward uh, in, in, uh, in new ministry and whatnot. And so we are excited. In one sense, a bittersweet a retirement of sorts, in, in the sense of being a pastor full-time at Camreal Community Church. But in another sense, remaining licensed with us uh, uh, as a pastor that we send out to GDI, the same ministry that our pastor emeritus, uh, Ralph Rittenhouse, is a part of, and uh, and, and still going to be in our church and all those type of things. Uh, but we're sending, and it's a really important thing to understand, that we are sending this family forward as one of our missionaries to GDI, and so we wanted to make sure that they felt celebrated this weekend, Uh, 20-some-odd years of service, right? Yeah, here at Camarillo Community Church. I mentioned last night that one of my favorite things that Jim does is lead us in communion. Uh, Something about that that calming voice that uh, just brings me... Into the presence of the Lord during that time And I hope that he'll continue to every once in a while Still do that for us But we have elders and wives Please come here, put a hand on uh, So this is what we do in the Bible Uh, We see this uh, ascending motion of placing hands on Prayerfully sending off To do the work of the kingdom of God And so we're going to do that symbolically right now I'm going to have Joel pray in a second Do you have a microphone, Joel? Joel uh, is great for this Because his heart goes before him as he prays and then I'm going to ask you to all extend a hand as well and, uh, and put your hand forward saying that we send this family as well. Now, it sounds weird because we're saying sending, but they're staying here. They're still a part of our church. Their family's here. But we're sending him into uh, this new world of serving uh, pastors across the world, helping them disciple disciples who disciple. Uh, and so we're, we're excited to do that together. With that being said, Joel, I'm going to bring you up here. Oh Father we
3: thank you for your sovereign will that brought Jim and Gail to this church many many years ago we thank you for your special calling on his life as he prepared himself in seminary and then came to serve this church now for over 21 years as a pastor you've used him in so many ways that we're so grateful for you've touched so many lives because Jim and Gail faithfully served where you called them. We thank you for them, especially for the men that have been part of his quads. And their lives are changed forever as they walk with you in a deeper understanding of what your will is for their lives. So God, we're not done yet. You're certainly not done with Jim and Gail. Uh, by Again, by your sovereign will, you have opened another door for them. And God is a church. We just want to commit to them. And by the help of your Holy Spirit, that you would go with them as they go through this open door of continued ministry. God, you've given them the opportunity to touch lives all over this world. He talks to pastors weekly and monthly. That are halfway around the world and encouraging them and training them to become disciples of Christ. So, God, we thank you for your touch on their lives. We pray for their family uh, as they go through this transition. And uh, we thank you for the way you use this church to uh, touch the lives of all of us be with them as they go and as we commission them into this next phase of ministry and we will certainly give you the praise and the glory forever and ever amen. amen
2: amen now before you guys can all go back sit down but we have a special tradition around here and so we said how can we send you off well jim and he said i'd like to go to is it on the screen do we have the fixer? The Cambria, California. And I said, why Cambria? He goes, I don't know. All my friends go to Cambria when they go on vacation. So so we're sending him an all-expenses-paid trip down the street to Cambria, California. Give them a round of applause. Stand back up, and let's worship some more.
4: i
5: him who have been called according to his purpose sometimes we can't see what God is doing sometimes we can't feel what God is doing but we know our God is faithful our God is true we know that while we worship he is working so let's worship this morning church you are here You're moving in
1: this is
2: Welcome to Camarillo Community Church. I'm so glad that you're hanging out with us today, whether you're on the patio, online, watching in the middle of the week, here this morning on campus, in the video venue. Welcome to all. What a great Sunday it's already been. I know we have football afterwards. I'm gonna encourage you to go home, put on your favorite red shirt, and then come back tonight because we're having a uh, worship night tonight called One Voice. I wanna remind you of it. I think we were handing out cards as you came in uh, that said we're having a worship night tonight with four other, at least four other churches in our community will be here uh, tonight, 7 p.m. Uh, our uh, worship team, as well as other worship band members of other churches will be here. Uh, we have Matt Pecca of Crossroads Church. He'll be delivering a, a small little 10-minute little message about how we're all one. We sing with one voice to the Savior. We're not in competition with each other. We're, we are so clearly uh, alongside of each other, different denominations and all, all representing the blood of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need every single church in our community if we're going to reach Camarillo for Jesus and Ventura County, and so everybody should say amen to all that, and then come back tonight if you said amen. And if you didn't say amen, you should have said amen, and you should need to come back tonight, 7 p.m. We also have Son of uh, Redemption Church, a church plant. He'll be doing our prayer for the city, leading us through that section. We have Kevin Bailey of Anthem Church. He'll be leading us through Communion. Eric, his co pastor, will also be doing the introduction. I'm the only one who won't be on stage because we're using our building, and I'll be right there worshiping Jesus uh, with you and four other, at least four other churches. I know we have Journey Churches coming as well, and so we'd love for you to come. It really helps the vision and picture of several churches worshiping together if you come. If you don't come, then it looks like somebody borrowed our building. You know what I'm saying? So please be back tonight, 7 p.m. I will be here, and my game is the second game at 3.30, so pray that there's not overtime so I can be here. I will be here on time, regardless, I will, Um, amen. (laughs) Um, But pray that there's no overtime for me. So come back tonight, 7 p.m one voice worship together. It's gonna be awesome. We're gonna have different churches. Uh, uh, you know, the different churches have people who are, who are, who are volunteering with children, with, uh, with uh, instrumentation, and then also with our greeters. So it's gonna be a wonderful time. I hope you'll come back and enjoy that together as we sing with one voice to the Lord. Well, the year is 1990. The picture is the problem child. It is rated PG. Anybody remember this? 1990, the problem child. It's rated PG. The late great John Ritter stars stars as a father who with his wife decides to adopt an orphan boy named Junior at the age of seven years old. The issue is everything that Junior touches turns to disaster. Like Literally, he leaves disaster in his wake, wake, destruction in his wake wherever he goes. There is this, it's like a modern-day version of Dennis the Menace, for those of you guys who remember that storyline. Well, John Ritter happens to be a coach of a Little League baseball team, and he puts Junior on his team. And Junior mentions to his new adoptive dad that he's never played baseball before. And he doesn't know how to play, but John Ritter insists that the boy play anyway. Now, if any of you guys have ever had your son or daughter play Little League baseball, whether it's t-ball or or pitching, uh, you know that there's several goals once your child gets up to the plate. Uh, There's more than one goal in baseball. The first goal is to not get hit by the ball, right? (laughs) When it's pitched, don't get hit by the ball, keep your eye on the ball, use the stick, that's called a bat, and make contact with the ball and put the ball in play. Goal number one is just to hit bat to ball and get the ball in play. But as soon as that happens, there's a second goal that happens. Uh, And that is you need to run to first base before the ball comes back and gets the first place, you must touch that bag before uh, the ball gets there, because you could still be out. Yeah, you can hit the ball in play, and if you don't get to the first base in time, and the ball gets there, you're out. And so what ends up happening is like, all right, son, uh, keep the eye on the ball, hit bat the ball, keep it in play. And as soon as the the child hits the ball in play, like yes, and then it's like on to goal number two. Now run, run to first base, tag the base, and stay on the base. Stay on the base. Don't overrun the base. Stay on the right. And, and then once they get to the base, it's like yes, right. Absolutely. And there's shows several little goals that are a part of this whole uh, Little League baseball thing. Keep your eyes on the ball. Yes. Run to first base, On Yes. Well, I want you to see what happens when young junior gets up for his first ever at bat. Watch this on the screen.
6: Shake it up. Just tighten up that grip, all right? All right. Meet yeah. the ball. Whatever you do, hold on to the bat, okay? Yeah. Come on, boy.
0: Good idea. Yeah. Hold on to the
4: back. Son of Dork, son of Dork, son of Dork, son of son of
0: Dork, son of 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 Dork adopted Satan.
2: that a great line? We've adopted Satan. Little Junior takes his father's advice, his new adopted father's advice, literally, just whatever you do, hang on to the bat. Well, he hangs on to it, and he hits the ball, and it's like, yes, and then he's running to first, and it's like, yes, and then he's beating people over the bat. No! No, 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 yes, yes, no, yes, you hit the ball, yes, you ran to first, but no, don't hit people. And of course, all the kids are are kind of badgering a uh, little junior he's like I'm gonna get you back I got the upper hand I know how to solve this one you can't beat up the opposing team with the bat junior and yet we have this yes yes and then a no I wonder if any of you might realize that this can be very similar to our experience in our spiritual lives That a lot of times as we go through our Christian walk, and if you're new to this thing called Christianity, understand a lot of times you can take two steps forward and one step back. It's like, yes, I hit the ball, and yes, I'm running the first, but no, I kept the bat in my hands, and and I continue to swing at people that I don't like. And and so you can go through this kind of phase, yes, yes, no. And this morning we're going to see the same type of thing in our narrative, David has just come off the most amazing display of restraint, uh, last chapter, where, where Saul is literally trying to kill David, and God places Saul right in David's grasp. And if you weren't here, I challenge you to go back and listen to it. And, and, he, and he took his knife and he cut the corner off of his robe to say, listen, I could have killed you. Look, I have a corner of your robe. And, and, and he takes a great amount of restraint and patience, like even though you're coming after me, to kill me, I will not return the favor, I will not return and try to kill you. Unbelievable amount of restraint, and yet this morning we're gonna see that coming off of that amazing restraint, he goes from yes, yes, to no, no, yes, yes, no. How does the enemy rework and retool his strategies after a major victory on our part, and how do we respond? What opportunistic tactics does the, the, uh, uh, should we be aware of in this war against the enemy? And if we aren't, what could happen to us? How does the evil one change his approach? And how do these changes have a potential effect on us. I would love for you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 25. We'll be looking at verses one through 13 together in our endeavor to teach through the entire book of 1 Samuel, we're getting close to the end, but we have not uh, skipped a verse, skipped a word, skipped a paragraph, skipped a chapter. We just keep on going. And today we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 25, looking at verses one through 13. As we look at the impulse of anger, How does the enemy respond after you've had a victorious moment? Let's say you've had the yes moment, the yes moment. How does the enemy now retool and rework himself in a new strategy after you've had that victorious moment? How does the enemy respond after you've had a victorious moment? Number one we're going to see, he unleashes new strategy at key moments. Now, the enemy is very opportunistic in this world, this war that we have against the evil one as we live through this life on the earth. He is very opportunistic. He knows when to hit you, he knows how to hit you, he, know which, he knows which buttons to press, so to speak. He unleashes, he, he unleashes new strategies at key moments. I want you to watch as I read uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25, starting verse 1. Now, Samuel died. And all of Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his house in Ramah. You can imagine, this is a key moment. This has been the spiritual advisor of David, and he has passed away. And then, it says, David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man at at Maon whose business was in Carmel. Now, this is not the beautiful Carmel of uh, California where you go to vacation. This is actually in the desert. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep at, in Carmel. Now a man, uh, a man, Now the man was named Nabal, and his wife was named Abigail, and uh, the woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Uh, David heard in the wilderness, and the Nabal was shearing the sheep, and so David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel and go to Nabal and greet him in my name, and thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. It's really a, a greeting, a blessing. I hear that you have, you have the shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did not harm them. Um, nor is there anything missing from the time that they were with us in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your arms, in your eyes. For we came, for we come on a feast day, a celebratory day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. And when David's, uh, David's young men came, they said all this in the ball in the name of David, and then they waited. And the ball answered David's servants, "Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? Are there many? Are, there are many servants these days who break away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who came from I don't know where?" We'll stop there. How does the enemy respond after you have had a victorious moment? Well, he unleashes new strategies at key moments. He's very opportunistic um, in how he approaches. Now, you remember, David just came off of not killing Saul when he could have. Unbelievable amount of restraint. Unbelievable amount of patience. I'm running away from you, running away from your kingdom, so that you won't do this atrocious activity that you want to do and kill me because you're scared that I'm gonna become king next. Uh, And you you process that through our world of of Western mindset, of Americana. I mean, we we have the right to bear arms here. You you, you could defend your own life and and not go to jail, right? That's how we process it. And yet here is David uh, really having every bit of cause to go after Saul and won't do it. He won't do it, has an unbelievable amount of restraint But then the enemy unleashes a new strategy at a key moment. Before he introduces us to Nabal and Abigail, he mentions that Samuel dies. Now this is extremely significant because this is the person that David would go to that provides David with wisdom from God. We've already seen him reconvene with Samuel. What do I do in this situation? And that person's now gone. This is what makes the enemy's strategy so opportunistic. He knows when to attack. David no longer has his wisdom partner, his counselor. Now's the time to attack. And so the rest of it is the setting of the stage of this. There's a man by the name of Nabal who is a rich man. How do we know? Because he has 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. A little different than today. They don't measure, they didn't measure wealth by 401Ks back then, it was by your livestock because your livestock was your 401K. Uh, your, your livestock gave you the ability to, 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 to produce and then to sell and, to, and to ask. so if you have a lot of livestock, you have a lot of money or you have a lot of, um, what's the word for that? Capital better than currency because it, it doesn't necessarily use currency like we use today. And so uh, it, he was a man from Mayon but he carried his business one mile north of Mayon in Carmel. Uh, it was a town, this is significant, Carmel was a town that was liberated by Saul from the uh, Amalekites. So this is really important because they might be kind of partial to Saul, being that that town was liberated by Saul from the Amalekites. And so this is where this guy, um, Nabal, is from, and that's where he does his business. Uh, The name Nabal actually literally translated is the fool. Want you to remember this, because these are kind of significant things in the scriptures. When when you have a name that represents the character of the person, and the character person is foolish, you can imagine why the name of this person in this account is the fool. Now, this his foolishness must um, be in stark contrast to his better half, his wife Abigail, whose name means my father was delighted. Can you imagine? I had my baby girl, I looked on her, and I was delighted. Her character is such that my father is delighted with the way I live my life. You, you see these counter-opposites in this marriage. The fool marries the one whose father is delighted in her. Um, you can see the setting of the stage for, for this narrative. Well, a business relationship kind of goes sour here. Uh, David sends men while Nabal is shearing. It's it's shearing season, which means it's harvest season in the world of of, uh, farming animals or raising animals. This is where you make your money. And so he sends his 10 men to collect for the services of protection that he provided Nabal and this flock of animals, 4,000 such animals that were protected in this time. Now David is on the run from Saul. He's living in places that nobody wants to live. He's living in desert, kind of we looked at last week. He's, he, he's, uh, he's been living in caves on mountainside so he can see when people are coming after him. He's got the high point to be able to, to respond. And so that's where he's living but he's got 600 people with him and he's gotta figure out how to supply food for them. So how do you continue to keep this whole gang of, of, of warriors fed? and ready for battle. Well, one way we see, and we'll see this later on in the, in, the, um, in the series in 1 Samuel, is he hires himself out and his group of warriors as mercenaries. Um, I, I have an army with me, you need defense, you can hire us in defense of your area and we'll come defend. We'll see that later on in 1 Samuel, he does that. In addition to that, he would try to support local farmers who are benefiting from their close proximity to 600 warriors. Uh, the idea would be uh, they had it so facto protection because there aren't any raiders like the uh, Amalekites who are known for going in and raiding farms or raiding, uh, not, not say crops, but um, what do they call it when animals are crops? Livestock, livestock thank you. <laughs> uh, and, and so the, the, uh, the, the Amalekites would come and raid the livestock, but not when there's 600 warriors right next to it. Not when Saul and David and his men are right there, and so they're benefiting from the proximity of being close to David. No doubt there were some farmers who purposely sent their livestock that way. Well, hey, listen, I want you to graze in the field right next to where we know David and his six hundred men are, because nobody's going to go up against and try to steal our stuff when you have David and his warriors. Right then. So they provided protection. They provided protection from enemies, uh, other territories. They provided protection from wild beasts that would come. They were able to make sure that your, not your crop, but your livestock would make it all the way to shearing time when you would obviously sell uh, the fur and then make money. And in the (laughs) process of that, David also recognizes that I didn't take any of them. And we could have. We have the, the firepower to do it, certainly. But ask your men, we didn't touch one of your goats. We didn't touch one of your sheep. We could have, we could have commandeered them for ourselves and ate them, but we didn't. We didn't do that. So at shearing time, which is generally uh, a, a, a celebratory time, just like harvest season is a celebratory time in ancient literature, and the reason is because we made it. We have a crop, the rains came, we have a crop. Or we were able to take our livestock and we count them. They do a, a head count, literally, how many of them made it across the time in the season. About twice a year they would do shearing. How many of them made it? And then they would compensate those sheep herders who got them there. We start off with 500 of them, we came back, and once we came to sharing time, there was 400 of them. According to that, we are gonna pay you in accordance with the ones that made it. Does that make sense? David is saying and sending his men saying, hey, can we get a piece of that pie? Can we uh, get our commission, so to speak? Uh, the, the shepherd gets a commission, we get a commission for the, for the, uh, for the, uh, uh, the kindness of us protecting you. And we're really coming, we're not demanding anything. We're just saying, Peace be upon you. Would you find a gracious ingratitude and, and generosity in your heart so I can feed these 600 men? They're living in the wilderness because Saul is after me. That's the context of what's going on. So he's relying on the graciousness and generosity of farmers as one of the means during harvest time to be able to provide food and supplies to his men. Now, Nabal refuses to comply, and not only does he refuse to comply, but he does it like utter contempt. And I want you to see this again. Let's go back to uh, verse nine and, and, and read it together. It says, when David's young men came, and they, and they said all everything that David told them to say to Nabal in the name of David, and then they just waited for an answer, and Nabal answered David's servant saying, who is David, and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. So I take the bread and my, and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I don't know where. Refuses to comply and he even does so in a utterly contemptuous way. Who is David? You think of the atrocity of that question. Who is David? Oh, he's only the guy who took out Goliath, uh, the guy that that people were singing and dancing about. Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. He's famous. How do you not know who he is? Of course you know who he is. You're trying to belittle him with that statement. Who is the son of Jesse? You remember this is the same strategy that Saul would use in reference to David. Uh, Whose stock are you from anyway? Jesse, isn't he a like a shepherd? see a low man on the totem pole? Come on, he's a lower class. I'm the king. I come from royalty. Who is, whose who's house, whose line? Who are we speaking of right now? You're nobody. Same way that David would be belittled before Saul, this person, Nabal, is also belittling him as merely a shepherd's boy. And then he says... There are many servants who are breaking away from their masters. What is he doing there? He's saying, David, you broke away from Saul who is rightfully your master and you were his slave. And you're off on the run because you broke away from him. Why should I feed you? He's literally saying in this statement, paying homage to Saul, I'm on Saul's side between the divide between Saul and David. Now, you remember that Carmel was liberated by King Saul. We know this because of 1 Samuel chapter 15. And so it's very clear that the people of Carmel may be very kind of uh, um, have an emotional attachment to Saul. And here we're seeing it. I'm not going to feed you. I don't know who you are, even though I do know who you are. You're from a a family that I don't care for, doesn't have a high repute. And number three, you ran away from Saul, who is the person that I really do, side with, and so I'm not giving you a thing. Needless to say, Nabal refuses to give David any food and supplies at all. Instead, he gives him a loud, uh, full of words of contempt, loud mouth of contempt. Now, on a side note, I just uh, um, uh, wanna share this on a complete side note, because it's really uh, uh, kind of significant here, and that is, in the section where Nabal kinda gives his reasoning, We see him use the personal and possessive pronouns, I and my, a total of eight times. In fact, I would challenge you, complete side note, but I would challenge you, go back today and go back and look at it. And look how many times he uses I and my, and count them. I take, I slaughter, I give, I know, my bread, my water, my meat, my shearers. And I would just add this as a complete side note to the message, the basis for all lack of generosity is at the uh, the basis for all lack of generosity and at the foundation of all greed is an elevated view of self. This is all mine. The correction here is to have a proper theology of ownership. Everything I have is God's. And because God is generous towards us, providing the savior of the world, I'm gonna emulate that and and be that way as well. I'm gonna be generous because it's not mine anyway. That's the proper understanding. But here, he says, this is all mine. Why would I give it to you? Well, at this point we get a chance to see how David will respond, but we need to keep in mind that underneath this narrative is the enemy rearing his ugly head. Samuel's passed away, the enemy's using a new strategy to try to conquer David, and David's walking right into that trap. How does the enemy respond after you've had a victorious moment? Well, first we have seen, that he will try new strategies at opportunistic moments, and now we're gonna see that he strikes at things that inspire internal rage. He knows your buttons. He knows exactly where you'll be triggered. He knows where you're insecure, and he will target those things. He strikes at things that will inspire internal rage. Let's look at David's internal rage starting in verse 12. So David's young men turned away and came back and told all this to David. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, you think he's angry? Every man, uh, 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 and David also strapped on his sword, and about 400 men went up after David, while 200 men remained with the baggage. I'm gonna take two thirds of my men, (laughs) all with swords, and we're 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 gonna go have a reckoning with this guy. It's retaliation time, baby. It's uh, two-thirds of the men, let's take him out. Uh, Attack is imminent. It seems unavoidable at this point. David is triggered, he's been wronged, and only the sensibility that comes from a sweet, wise, and strong voice, which we'll see the next time we talk about in Abigail, stops him from doing what he is committed to do. That is take out Nabal. And I can't help but to see the contrast of where we just came back from in chapter 24 and where we are in chapter 25. Chapter 24, the king is trying to kill me. Somebody above me is trying to take me out, and yet I have the ability to say, I'm gonna restrain myself, I'm I'm going to have patience, even though what he is doing to me is unrighteous, and I'm not going to take him out. That's what happens in chapter 24. And then chapter 25, somebody who is beside me or below me does something against me. And I'm so filled with internal rage that I'm saying, everybody strap on your swords and let's go get them. Do you see the difference? Restraint and patience in chapter 24. Impulsivity, murderous ideals in chapter 25. Yes, yes, no. Yes, yes, no. That's what we're seeing in David's character in this. And you can't miss that behind the narrative is really the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of Satan. Our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities. That's what's going on behind the scene here. Jesus would be born out of the house of David, and the enemy would do anything he could to mar the reputation of the legacy of the Messiah who would not take arms, by the way, when he was being attacked, and who would neither defend himself with arms nor would he accept Satan's offer of his own kingdom without suffering. You better believe the enemy is trying to mar the picture of Christianity, of Christ through Christians, and he's attacking that way. How can I mess this whole thing up? The enemy's always trying to rear his ugly head, and draw us away from the idea, the ideals of a messianic king. One chapter, I'm able to live up to those ideals even though somebody is persecuting me and coming at me unrighteously, patient and restraint. Next chapter, somebody below me is coming after me and I don't have any patience or restraint for that. I'm ready to employ murderous ideals. Do you see the picture and the contrast between the two sections Which brings us to the big idea. The occasion for an impulse of anger surrounds us. But a theology of vengeance can save us. I'll explain that. The occasion for the impulse of anger surrounds us. It comes from above, it comes from beside, it comes from below, it's always there. Why? Because the enemy is always attacking. And if it doesn't work from above, he'll come from below and he'll come from the side. It's always there. The occasion for the impulse of anger surrounds us, but a theology of vengeance can save us. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That's what he employed when he was over here under Saul, saying, you know what? I don't need to fight back because God's gonna take care of this battle for me. When somebody was above him, he was able to do that. When somebody was below him, he wasn't able to do that anymore. And yet the principle's the same. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and I will repay it. Whether it comes from above, beside, or below, a theology of vengeance can save us. This man, either equal to David, if you you consider the sense that they are both contemporaries occupying the same region, but you could say it was below David because David's anointed to be king, and he's belittling him. That man is actually below David. He seems to handle anger's impulse well from above, but he doesn't so much when it's from below. And yet the solution is the same, Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The occasion for an impulse of anger It surrounds us, but a theology of vengeance. When you really understand that God will defend you, you don't have to act on that impulse. The enemy will be opportunistic at key moments. Saul, or Samuel passes away. Here's my moment. I'm gonna go after David right now. He doesn't have wise counsel. He knows how to press your buttons, where to press your buttons, where those buttons are. You must be aware. You must be aware. You know, I'm gonna... Uh, share in a moment of vulnerability right now. Um, I feel like my life mirrors David's insecurities in this. Um, I think I mentioned last week that that my favorite passage in all of 1 Samuel was chapter 24, and it really is my favorite. That's why I chose to do the whole series just because of the way he handles Saul. Well, if that was my favorite passage, this was the most convicting one. I literally had a moment as I was studying going, oh wow, I literally wrote down this word, wow. Literally wrote the words down, wow, on my note sheet. And I take a risk of sharing these type of things, but it's okay, everybody needs to know that I'm human. Just like you guys, I have a carnal, you know, sinful nature like everyone else, and I struggle against it and try to move forward. I've generally been able to pass a test when, it's been, when, I, when I've been mistreated by those above me. Thankfully, it hasn't happened that much in my pastoral tenure. It's happened a couple times. Like David, I've shown restraint when the opportunity was there before me to act on things, to make people look bad. But also like David, when somebody beside me or below me in status, so to speak, in label or whatever, in title, whatever it might be, when somebody beside me or below me wrongs me, I can flip towards, let's lock and load, baby, mount up. It's time to go, fist to cuffs. Fool, do you know who I am? I'm the pastor. Ready to go. I remember uh, several years ago when McDonald's started this new strategy of taking people on the drive-through lane and then asking them to, hey, there's a special parking spot for you over there if you could sit there and wait for your food to be done. remember that was first on the scene, that was several years ago they were starting doing that. Sir, can you please park in a designated spot until your food is ready? And I was like, no. Why would I park in a spot? This is a drive-thru. Why would I do that so you can just serve the people behind me? What is it, backwards day? By the way, uh, my church is doing a, a worship night tonight. Uh, come on, come on down. Come, come, uh, come be a part of it. Regretfully, I've had conversations with my wife and my children that I wish I could have back. Just last month, I had a conversation with my youngest. I had to apologize to her. She spoke up and defended herself, and she was right. Dad, you never see what else I do, you only see the things I don't do. You don't ever comment about the things I do. I am doing right. And I asked her, would you just look me in the eyes? And she did, and I said, I'm sorry, you're right. As she walked a tear off her cheek, because the emotional feelings you get when your emotions are validated. By the way, parents, sometimes I think it's better to have that interaction than to not make the mistake. Because they can see that their emotions are validated, that you're human that you make mistakes. And I asked her, would you forgive me? And she wiped another out and said, yeah, dad, I can forgive you. Regretfully, I've had conversations at work. I've been, I've been, um, uh, conversations at work that I wish I could have back. I've been leading teams now for 10 years. There have been times where I felt disrespected, usurped, manipulated, undermined, undercut, disregarded, challenged, and even defied and I didn't respond well to those underneath me or beside me in the York chart. I was not quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, as James chapter one, verse 19 says. You see, sometimes we can have great respect or restraint when those above us wrong us, but when those below us wrong us, Sometimes we lose that restraint. We lose that patience. How are you with the people that are above you? How are you with the people who are beside you? How are you with the people that God has entrusted to follow you? And if we simply could rely on that notion that God will defend me, whether it's coming from above, beside, below, he will have the last say. I don't need to be angry. I don't need to be impulsive. I don't need to defend myself and my rights. He will do it for me. The occasion for the impulse of anger surrounds us. But a proper theology of vengeance can save us when we employ it. Listen, guys, we can't go throughout life running the bases with a bat in our hands. It's not gonna work. And you can't rely on, well, I didn't swing at the coach and I didn't swing at the umpire. Okay, but you swung at everybody else on the field and it's still not okay. Man, I was, uh, like I said, greatly convicted by this. And I would imagine that if that's what God's doing in my heart and my life, By the way, I'm not good at pretending that that doesn't happen, i just tell you. this is what I'm going through. My guess is there's others in this room who go through that as well. Why don't we all commit to letting God be God and trusting that we don't have to be? Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, it's amazing, a great model one week and no less than 10 verses later. It's like, yes, yes, no, no. And yet that's our lives, that's our Christian walk. Every one of us, uh, John said in 1 John that no one goes through this life without sin. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. Uh, You have the propensity to sin, you have a sin nature. You will wrestle with that disease your entire life. It's not a terminal disease, but it's a disease that doesn't go away until you see God face to face in heaven. And so I just acknowledge it, acknowledge it, and ask you, will you keep on, Turning me around from the inside out and making me a new being and reminding me that you're God and I don't have to be. Would you help me do that? And sometimes my own insecurities, I want to lash out in anger because I feel like I'm not being treated right from people below or beside. Would you bring peace in those moments? Shalom. Knowing that you are God, I'm not,
6: and therefore I don't have to. Thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you, Pastor David. You know, uh, today's big idea reminds me of a verse that I like, Exodus 14, 14, that says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So we gotta give him a chance, um, but he will come through for us if we, have, if we trust in him to do that, as his word says. All right, we're gonna receive our offerings. one of the ways we worship God. We put him first. Uh, the, the word of God asks us, to do this, um, it's how ministry is supported, not only in this church, through all churches throughout the world. There's not uh, like government money or uh, grants or things that come in to support it, it's through the faithfulness of God's people. We do that at this church three different ways, by going to the website, kmcc.net, uh, click give at the top of the page, by texting them out, 84321, or we have an offering box in the lobby. Some people mail it in, they automate it through the bank, other ways of doing it, but the important part is that we're putting God first and our first fruits. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your generosity in our lives, for your provision in our lives. And Lord, we just acknowledge that everything we have comes from you and we are thankful and grateful for um, what we've been given. Lord, and as we seek to honor you and honor your word by giving back a portion of what you already gave to us, Lord, um, would you receive worship because of that act? And would you bless this offering we're receiving today? towards ministry here at KMCC and throughout the world. We say this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, check out this video, what's coming up next.
7: Hey KMCC, I'm Megan Terryberry, and I'm one of the worship leaders here at our church. If it's your first time here with us, we're so glad that you're here. If it's your second time, we're so psyched that you're back. If you're a first time guest, you'll receive a $5 Starbucks gift card. Please fill out our connection card and take it to the welcome counter in our lobby or you can scan this QR code with your phone's camera and let us know that you filled it out digitally. If this is your second time, we have a $10 dollars in and out gift card for you. We would also like to invite you to an all-you-eat can dessert party with our elders and staff and pastors. We'd love to get to know you. Online viewers, please go to kmcc.net slash next steps to go through this guest process. Sunday, February 4th, 4, 4 to 6 p.m. Father-daughter dance. Dads, bring your daughters for some dancing, music, a photo booth, snacks, and make your own bracelet. The best part about it, it's free. This will definitely be a memory to cherish. All ages are welcome. Register with this QR code or email sam at camcc.net for more info. Week of February 26th, Camryo Community Church Christian Child Care Center, Seven C's, registration for the 2024-25 school year will take place for the members of CAMCC only. Seven C's is for children 18 months old to pre-kindergarten with after-school care for children kindergarten through fifth grade. For more info, email elaine at camcc.net. Friday, March 1st, 7 to 9 p.m. Fun Fest! Calling all middle schoolers. Check this out, a mechanical bowl, carnival games, a dunk tank, giant slides, free food, and $300 worth of giveaways. Register online at camcc.net slash funfest. The cost is $10 per person. Plus one. Plus one is our rally cry as a church for 2024 as we focus on one of our core values. In the lobby, you will notice a board where you can write the first name of a person that you want to begin praying for opportunities to invite the church this upcoming year. Once you invite them, place a check next to their name. If they show up, add a plus sign next to their name so we can celebrate as a church. If you need prayer today, we will have our prayer team up in front willing to pray for you at the conclusion of our gathering. Stay in the loop of what's going on at CamCC. follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events, go to camcc.net. I was really struck today by the message point, new strategies and key moments. Um, That the devil uses those new strategies and key moments. My family's in a year of transition. My husband is about to retire from the military, Um, lots of yeses are happening. We've tried to be faithful and obedient, um, but it's just a healthy reminder to lean into our godly relationships, our friendships, our quads, and our growth groups so that we can look out for those strategies that the devil can use during this time in our lives. Uh, Today on your way out, be sure to add a name to our plus one board in the lobby and be praying for who you can invite next week. And then I will see you on the patio for coffee and donuts. Have a good Sunday.